Hello, and welcome back to Outnumber the Podcast. You are listening to episode 212, and we are talking about preserving the innocence of our little ones while we have teens or older kids around. So if you have experienced this, then you know this frustration, and hopefully some of our tips are going to help you today. We're going to talk specifically about media usage, controlling that media that comes in your home and making sure the little kids only see appropriate stuff talking about mature themes with your older kids or your husband, and also mature teen language, as well as lots of other tips and tricks for getting those little kids to stay innocent and pure even while the big kids are around. So let's do it. Hello, and welcome to Outnumbered the Podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Bonnie. We are experienced moms to a combined total of 19 children. In our weekly episodes, we explore relatable topics using our perspectives of humor and chaos. Tune in for advice and encouragement to gain more joy in your parenting journey. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a fun episode for you today, specifically for those of you who have older kids and younger kids home at the same time. Now, this might seem like it only appeals to families with a wide range, but it also applies if you have um, kids at home still when some other kids start bringing home grandkids or nieces and nephews around teenagers and that sort of thing. So anytime there's a mix of ages, family reunions, this comes up and that is trying to preserve the innocence of the little ones while there are big kids around saying and doing mature things that we don't want our little kids exposed to. So that is what we're talking about today. To start off, each of us is just going to explain really quickly what our family looks like right now so you know where we're coming from and see if you can relate at all. So right now, my oldest uh, is 17. He turns 18 this year. He's prepping to leave home and has all these dreams and goals. My youngest is almost two. So we have the whole gamut um, and all kinds of uh, issues with trying to keep those younger ones protected from the stuff the older kids are into. Yeah, since we've been doing the podcast for a few years now, you might have lost track of how many kids we have and what their ages are and all that. <laughs> so we have nine kids. Um, our oldest is 24 and married. And then our youngest is a couple months away from being four. So we have about a 20-year age spread between ours. Um, the oldest two are moved out and um, all the way down to the littles who have a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, I, I know probably so many of us have funny things that we could share about little kids saying things that are inappropriate, especially like out and about. Right. But our latest, um, kid phrase that cracks us up is my three-year-old loves to call everybody hypocrites. Have I said this already? <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. Somebody got it in their their wheelhouse that hypocrite was like a, an insult, a bad insult. Mm. And so they started yes. calling that to each other. And the three-year-old picked up, only doesn't say it right, and it's the cutest thing ever. You're such a hypocrite, Dad. And we just dissolve <laughs> into giggles, you know? <laughs> I know. It's so fun when they use words like, you know, you're, my, my three-year-old walks around and says, well, actually... <laughs> And my five-year-old intersperses words like indeed into her sentences. <laughs> indeed. Yes, dear indeed. mother. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. It's a little bit less adorable, though, when it is words that we prefer our children not be using, period. <laughs> and the little ones have picked up on it, right? And so, like I said, this is not a problem that a lot, 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 lot of families have if they don't have a widespread. But to some extent... There is some of that for just about everyone, especially as your family grows and evolves. So 
Yes, yes. We've noticed a handful of issues that we have had to address in um, having this wide age range, every age range in our homes. And so we're going to talk to them and share with you guys some tips and some happy mediums and some compromises that we've come up with today, both for keeping, letting the older ones have their independence and letting the little ones maintain their innocence. Yeah. And you might have already had a conversation like this, even if you have three kids real close together. Um, what happens when they turn, you know, nine, 10, 11, and they want to start telling the little kids in the neighborhood about Santa Claus, right? You've probably had a conversation similar, like, oh, actually we allow little kids to believe what they want, or we allow little kids to, you know, have this imagination and we don't squash it and we don't, we don't become the bearers of bad news as we get older, right? Um, but I would say that number one issue that our family deals with is media usage, right? So as you grow and evolve, you uh, become exposed to more mature themes, um, maybe some disturbing news on on the internet. Um, this is a big one for us because as our oldest has grown up, then the other kids have wanted to grow up right along with him, even if they're five or six years younger. And so that's been a little bit tricky. As soon as I've noticed that as soon as my oldest, who is 17, is allowed to watch a specific movie or show or, or rating level, then all of a sudden everybody thinks, oh, we can, we can watch PG-13 now. I'm like, oh, but except he's 13 and you're seven. So we have to have this conversation quite often. And it can be particularly frustrating in a situation like mine where all my kids are two years apart. So if I say yes to the 11 year old, then the nine year old's right there going, well, I can too. I'm only two years younger. Right. And then the seven year old's like, well, what about me? You know, like there has to be a, a hard cutoff or else next thing I know, my three-year-old is watching a PG-13 movie, you know, which is not okay with me. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So one solution is what you mentioned, a hard age cutoff or an experience cutoff. So for us um, to have a personal device in our family, they have to be able to separate from us, which means a driver's license. Mm. So they did not need a personal device unless they were ha having a driver's license and driving away from us. And then of course we wanted them to have one for safety reasons mm -hmm. so that they could get a hold of us and we could get a hold of them. And so that um, was just our um, line that we drew for personal media um, is you can drive or you can't drive. And that like, they can't say, oh, well, I'm only two years away from driving. No, you're not driving. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So that was one that worked for us. So this is the thought I've had recently um, that it might be worth considering creating a list of what ages can do what especially for other caregivers. So I've had this happen quite often where I have a hard and fast rule, but when I leave home, uh, they convince the babysitter or dad or a big sibling that, oh, actually mom said I could do that, right? And it quickly kind of devolves into chaos. So um, right now our, our cutoffs are pretty distinct and so there isn't as much problems as there has been in the past. But if you're leaving a babysitter, you might have a list on the fridge that says, oh, Kid A, B, and C are allowed to watch anything over PG. Kids under this cannot, or this kid is allowed on the internet without a parent sitting right by him. No one else is. He's the only one. So that's just kind of a good way to communicate with others who might be watching your kids that aren't fully aware of the rules that you have. Um, and uh, I will admit that sometimes my husband and I have been on different pages of this, but I think that's probably a topic for a whole other episode, right? <laughs> we have a marriage series. We'll stick that one in there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, something, one little thing that um, I have done with media usage to respect um, the 
adultness or the heading toward adultness that um, my teens or those that are old enough, you know, driving, have a job and a personal device, and then preserving the innocence of the young. One thing I do is um, I say, if you are on a screen and one of your siblings can see your screen, then you are responsible for making sure that what is on your screen mm -hmm. is safe for mm -hmm. them. So I just plop the responsibility right back in their lap. Yeah. <laughs> and our, our kids are very protective of their siblings and they um, like, I'll even, you know, at first when they, you know, first got a device, I'd, you know, there'd be something and I'd see all the little kids gathered around and be like, um, I hope whatever is on your screen is appropriate for your younger siblings because they can all see it right now. So if you're interested in specifically um, outlining like what our different families have done as far as screen time usage, go check out that episode too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about the, the screen, you know, side note, we do require the vast majority of our screens to be out in the open. They're not in bedrooms. They're not enclosed, you know, in except my office, because I have to be able to lock myself away um, for, for everyone's protection. Um, but it does there does come a time when they are allowed to have personal devices. And then what do those rules look like, both to protect their own innocence, right? And also that of the younger kids. One thing we that has worked for us is um, like a later at night thing. Like if a, a kid wants to watch something that's not super appropriate for a younger kid, then he has to wait until nine o'clock or 8.30 or something so that the younger siblings are not up gathered around his computer and wondering what's going on. So all kinds of, all kinds of options there. Yes. Waters we have had to navigate, navigate ourselves. Okay. Let's go on to number two, talking about mature themes with our kids. You guys notice that on this um, podcast, if we have an episode that has some mature themes or mature words in it, we always give you an earbud warning. And that's because we know that a lot of you are moms with younger kids listening and you're like getting prepared to discuss these things with your kids. Well, we're, we're right there with you. Like we sometimes wish we could have our teens put earbuds in and we could talk to them about everything from sex to crime to alternative lifestyles and divorce and all these sticky subjects that maybe we just don't want our little ones introduced mm -hmm. to yet. But we don't have earbuds. Our teens don't have earbuds in. I mean, they usually do. Often have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not with a, no, not with a direct connection to what we want to say to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we've had to figure out how to talk about mature themes when there are also little ones in the home. Yeah. And I feel like this is a really important part of raising teens. Like when something scary or disturbing or um, immoral comes across their um, awareness, it's in the news or pop culture or whatever, I want to have a discussion about that with my child. But without the three-year-old listening in, or actually he probably isn't paying attention, but the seven or the nine-year-old listening in, right? So a couple of solutions that we've come up with are setting aside specific times to talk to our teens about these subjects. Um, and, and sometimes my husband, sometimes things come to mind and I'm thinking, oh, I really want to talk to my husband about this. But as soon as he gets home, all the kids swarm in. Not a good time, right? So we, a couple of, of times that we do these are sometimes after dinner, but the older people are still sitting around the table and the little kids have like scampered off, right? So they're not paying attention or they're outside or whatever. And we can kind of have this a little bit more serious conversation. Those are for the things that I don't like to push off much. Like it's kind of a little bit um, urgent. And then at night, right? Whether I like it or not, 1030 comes around and my kids want to talk. So <laughs> I can use those times to say, hey, um, were you aware of this? Or what do you think about this? Or in the news, I saw this. Let's have a conversation. So uh, you can get creative or or taking your kids on dates. That's always a fun way. Yes. that You know what? That Those after dinner conversations are some of my 
most favorite times <laughs> because when you have a family with all ages, like the con and with teens, especially the, the dinner conversations get so good, <laughs> so good. Um, and then, yeah, I found too, like teens, somehow they, they want to open up at night and I'm like, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. It's one, one reason that I've been really motivated to preserve the, the earlier bedtime for my younger kids is so that the older ones can come in and talk. You know, another thing, um, is like I said about the media usage, we can, um, recruit our kids help to preserve the innocence of the little ones, you know, remind them how carefree their childhood was and how much they didn't have to worry or be scared or mature too soon. Um, and so their, their younger siblings should have that opportunity as well. So, you know, definitely communicating with them about what we're trying to do here. And so then when, you know, the conversation starts to turn and their little ones in the, there are little ones in the room, I will either say, Oh, Hey, hang on a second. Let's discuss this later. Or I will ask the little one to leave. Hey, go this, conversation is going to be boring to you. Why don't you guys go play outside? Yeah. And I like that you're saying that sometimes you do one or the other, because if we're constantly pushing off the teens in favor of the younger ones, that, that can kind of sow some discontent and some frustration. And they start thinking that they're not as important as the little kids, but the little kids are the urgent ones. They're like, mom, 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 can I have a bandaid? You know? <laughs> so sometimes it is appropriate to say, Oh, nope, you go play outside. I'm going to talk to you in 20 minutes. I have to talk to your brother first. So and for us, I've noticed just how sweet it really is to get my teens on this side with me of preserving this innocence of, of the other kids' childhood. It's, it's just really neat to see them take that kind of more mature stance. And I think it does two things. I think it helps them feel a little bit more like adults, like, oh, I'm a big kid. I am. This is part of my job is to help make sure these little kids stay innocent. Um, and then it also gives little kids the benefit of having more I don't want to say more parents because I'm not asking them to parent, but just more big people out there protecting them, right? Like, oh, 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 actually, we're not going to talk about this. Look, little ears are listening. And so more, more big kids are, more big people are around protecting these little ones as well, which I think is just really sweet. Yes. And that, that does so much for our teens when we um, treat them like an adult, give them the adult responsibility. So, it, you know, we present it in such a way, not like, uh, you know, disciplining them for talking about something when their younger siblings are around, but recruiting them to be on our side. Hey, let's do this together. Let's be on a team and protect the kids' um, innocence as well. You know, a good comparison might be comparing it to their physical safety. Just as the older sibling would never allow them to run out in the road unsupervised, they can also be put on guard to protect their their mental innocence as well. We and emotional things, you know, like, you know, it's not that the little kids wouldn't understand some of these things that we're discussing, but it's that they would take on so much worry and care about it. I remember the first time that one of my children heard about, um, or understood the concept of what abortion was. And they just cried for weeks and weeks and they were just too young to have found out. I don't, I don't remember what the situation was. I didn't have older and younger ones at that time, but, um, yeah, just like the worry and the care that they that they would be burdened with too too young. So, and and when you present it in an adult manner like that to your older kids and your teens, they're so on board. They want to help you so much with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also like the concept of us all working together to keep our home this like safe and innocent safe haven. Right? They know what it's like to go out into the world and to feel kind of those buffetings of just 
evil and ickiness and bad influences and, and, and bullies and all this, all this harsh stuff. And when they come home, they know what that feels like. And to just acknowledge that, just say, you know how comfortable it feels to come home and, and let your guard down. We want to keep this place a safe, beautiful haven for our little kids. And this is how we protect ourselves from the outside world. Kind of like our, our episode on uh, evil proofing our kids, right? To, to get our mm-hmm. teens on our side, that they're also helping us do the same. It's pretty cool. Okay, so a third aspect of protecting this this little kid innocence is with mature language. So let me just say that we don't allow cursing in our home, but there are just kind of like rougher terms and words that may be okay for a teen to use um, or even normal for a teen or adult to use, but I definitely don't want hearing coming out of my three-year-old's mouth. Now, that being said, it happens. Hypocrite and all the things, you know? Um, But things like crap. I don't want my five-year-old saying crap, but my teens say it all the time or idiot or these other words that, you know, when my oldest was five, never in a million years, like he'd get soap in his mouth if he ever said those words. But now, so this is kind of like tricky. What battles do you want to pick, right? (laughs) This reminds me so much of one of my little kids um, came to me the other day and they said, I suppose this should have been our humor segment, but they came to me and they said, mom, the next older up sibling was swearing was said some bad words and I said oh no what I'm sorry that you had to hear that what what was it exactly and they said well I can't say it it's a bad word <laughs> I said well but I I appreciate that and you're you know you're careful being careful with your own tongue but I really need to know the words that were said so that I can talk to your sibling about it so you can just whisper them in my ear maybe like that will you know dull the not saying it and they said, okay. And they whispered in my ear this expression that's used in the Midwest where we live. And it's not swearing at all. It's dad gummit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that does sound a little harsh. <laughs> dad gummit. <laughs> and I was, I was working on not laughing, not giggling. And I did that. And I, I understood that it was that the next sibling up was using them. I mean, it didn't matter the words that they said. They could have said, purple petunia but it was the anger and the yes. you know the force with which they were putting behind the younger words <laughs> knew it was a naughty word yeah for sure <laughs> uh, but but it's it's okay to have limits what you allow from your teen so then i did talk to my older the, the next one up the the one who had said the swear words and um i talked about you know how you could say how the, the intent and the force and the feeling behind your words was just as bad as if you said, you know, puppy's breath, puppy's, puppy's, puppy dog breath or something. You you can say any words, but the way that you say them. So we then had a nice little chat about how having the right feeling behind what we say. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. I, I remember living in, in different countries and even before I learned the language, knowing exactly what the swear words were because of how they were spoken and the facial expressions and the, the intent and the, or the, um, intensity, the volume, all those things. So that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And, and once again, we just try to get our teens on our side, like, oh, can you see how hearing that word out of a, you know, out of your, your friend might not even resonate, uh, might, might not even um, cause register. a reaction to you. Yeah. It might not even register, but out of a little kid's mouth, how it sounds so much sadder, right? Because we expect them to be innocent and sweet and kind, and let's just give them the best chance at this innocent childhood. But again, 
this, this might be something you have to let go of a little bit due to the nature of just having little kids and big kids at home. We do the best we can. Some more things to think about preserving the innocence of the younger kids is to make time as a family to cater to the younger kids, like reading picture books together, doing kid activities, playing a super easy game. Like there's oftentimes we're having game night and it's a game that's too hard for the kids, but you know, do, do something silly and easy first, do, do a kid puzzle together. Um, all those kind of things that the, the little ones are actively and the big ones are actively involved in interacting as a family, but caring and protecting that innocence together. Yeah. And this is like, I have mixed feelings about this because as an adult who likes to have fun, for sure, I would nine times out of 10, rather go see a movie that's interesting to me with my teenagers than to sit around and play Candyland for the 4,000th time. But again, as a parent who sees my kids grow up so fast, I just think, oh my gosh, when's the last time we're going to play Candyland? It could be tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so you have to, you and, and half of you is going, yes. End of Candyland. <laughs> Shoots and ladders. That's the one I can't tolerate. Shoots and ladders. The worst. It's sorry for uh, me. I just oh, I see no sorry. point. Sorry. I don't not. see any point in it. <laughs> so you have to realize that your teens are are gonna for sure have less of that like mothering instinct to want to do the fun little kid things. So we really have to encourage them, right? Um, and so it can get some pushback, but I will say that for us personally, we have some of the best memories doing the piddly little kid stuff, right? Things like having a snowball fight, especially special for us because we don't get snow. So it's like on a vacation or something, you know, um, playing twister the other day for a family activity, we played telephone, you know, where you just whisper something in someone's ear and it goes around and we have enough people that it gets so garbled. And it is, it was so funny. The kids were begging to do it. Like, I think we did it 20 times. <gasps> one more time, one more time. And that by that time, the teens were done. The adults were done. We're like, no, we're yeah. going to bed. But yeah just so fun drawing lessons. Like sometimes my teens will give the younger ones drawing lessons or we'll all do a video together. Like one of those simple ones on YouTube and see who has the best troll drawing or whatever. Um, playing with Play-Doh. Sometimes I'll come in and have distracted my little ones with Play-Doh and my, my teenager sat down and is making some snakes for the kids or something. It just kind of preserves the child in all of us to make room for that stuff. Right. And when we do that, it keeps us all a little bit more connected. I don't know what it is about it, but it just kind of brings us all together. I love it. It's, it's a great reminder to keep those activities in your life. Yeah. It's, um, we have a whole episode. This is bringing to mind our episode on family friendly activities. We had a request that somebody talk about, um, things that we do that are exciting for a whole family. And so that that's bringing that episode to mind. Definitely go check it out because we threw tons of ideas out in that episode. But one thing that our family did last year was um, we went on a hike about once a month and that was so fun. And it ended up not being a hike. Like one month in the summer, we went canoeing and the whole family went canoeing. That was something that the big ones enjoyed and the little ones enjoyed. Um, and But like hiking is something everybody can do. And the, and the, the big ones end up, you know, backpacking the little ones for part of the trail, but that's, that's fine. That's fun. And, and it's something that you could do all together. And so anyway, go check out that, that, um, episode definitely instills a maturity and a selflessness, a service oriented mindset in your teens. Um, the main difference between teens who have no younger siblings, younger kids, nieces and nephews, etc. to interact with and those who don't is selfishness or selflessness. I I see this actually 
a lot in, or maybe it's brought to mind how good my older kids are with their younger siblings when my older kids will bring home a friend who doesn't have younger siblings around. And they're just kind of like uncomfortable or awkward or they don't like they're really neat people, but they just don't know what to do with those little kids because or because just they're not annoyed around. at all the things the little kids do. Yeah. Yeah. And the big ones are so good at, at tolerating it and, you know, just playing along and, and throwing the, you know, throwing the little kids up in the air and just doing stuff together. It's, it's really neat to see when you get some of these issues worked out. It's really, really neat to see the large family dynamic going on. Um, I have noticed the same thing. And um, obviously it's just the natural order of things. Like I'm sure when my youngest grows up, I mean, they'll probably have plenty of nieces and nephews around, but they will also be a little bit more awkward with the younger kids than my oldest kids because they just don't have as much experience. But it's just so neat. Like if it's sometimes frustrating, you can remind yourself that, hey, I am teaching my kids so many skills for how to deal with someone who's impatient or throwing a tantrum, or only wants to play telephone 4,000 times, or um, they become wonderful babysitters, they become great caretakers, they become just selfless, right? Like, granted, my teens are not perfect, for sure. They they get upset about things. I was just thinking about one of my older teens throwing a huge fit and yelling at the three-year-old, because the three-year-old was throwing a fit. And I just walked in, and I was like, uh... <laughs> he realized what he was doing. But like I said, we, we're, none of us are perfect when these little kids push our buttons, but... Having them on our side is just so magical and teaching them, hey, before you make your own lunch, do you think you can see if anybody else needs lunch? Do you think you can check on them first? Do you think you can play a game with someone to keep them out of mom's hair? It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And what I love most about teaching my oldest kids this caretaking is that I know they're going to be amazing parents. Even if my oldest might wait 15 years to have kids. I don't know. (laughs) Probably a little burned out. I just, I think about all of the skills that I'm giving them today to become amazing parents of their own children and, and great spouses too, because they're gonna have so much more patience for their spouse's quirks because they're way less annoying than a (laughs) three-year-old's. I know, I know. You know, that's, yeah, that is so true. When my son was in college, his um, female classmates would tease him that he was more prepared to be at a birth or have kids than they were. And they were females. And they were like, how come is this? Like, you've seen more births than we have. And we're women. And we're supposed to be preparing for this life event. <laughs> and they would give him a hard time mm-hmm. because he'd, you know, been at all of his siblings' births. And that was, you know, that. so I, I love that too. Just the, what a large family does. Okay, so one one final thought I have here is um, if you want to work on this um, with your older kids, start now if you just have younger kids. <laughs> because one thing that we have done, we have an episode on sibling rivalry, and I outlined in that what we do to prevent sibling, sibling rivalry in our family. And it's not 100% effective, but it is really, really close. Like... Um, my, my kids just love each other and get along. One thing that we do that I wanted to mention here is that we give them responsibility for a younger sibling from the beginning. So when we go to town, we have a partner system. Okay, we're getting out. Um, I obviously only have two eyes and I'm also going to be looking for groceries. So I need you and you to be partners and you and you. And then we go through the store in a partner system where they're responsible for the younger sibling because I obviously would not be able to get one single grocery if I had to watch seven little kids running around, right? <laughs> Yeah, so they have that responsibility. And then we we work a lot on 
love for each other from the very beginning, even from before the child is born. And I really see um, this played out in, in my teens in just a respect for our wishes for the younger kids, but they like they share that they have ownership of that as well because they've done part of the not really the raising of the child but th they have definitely influenced this this kid's life and they're not going to mess it up by you know teaching them to swear or something yeah yeah, yeah i just it, and it, it to me it really clinches the idea that we are a family that it's not a 16 year old and a five-year-old and a 10 year old just out there doing their own thing but that we are a cohesive unit and we look out for each other and as each of us gets more mature we watch out for the ones below us um and uh, you know the parents are there to, to guide everyone but it's just a beautiful concept when we can get those kids to understand it as well um and then uh, the bonuses that are life is much easier as a parent, you know, then we have more kids helping out. Um, and then they go out into the world even more prepared. So it's, it's a wonderful thing, even though it is a little bit frustrating sometimes. So we hope that these tips helped you guys. Please let us know on Instagram or email us if you have other further questions about this topic or others that you'd like to hear. Um, and we hope you have a great week. I'm Bonnie. I'm Audrey and we're outnumbered. Thanks for listening, friends. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe to our email and never miss another episode. Show us some love by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with a friend. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Um, and so... Oh, boy. Somebody's mad about this thing or whatever. Someone's dying. It's just mad. Oh. Oh. Well, what? How ironic! I'm hearing the word "idiot" being screamed. <laughs> Perfect. Good timing, guys. Oh, come over here and say that. <laughs> um, your kids don't say that. They're too sweet. I can tell. Mm, don't they though? <laughs> they don't say it. They just scream it. They just scream it. <laughs>